Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, what, a, what an encouraging, encouraging story to see a church making an impact in, in their region. That kind of relates to what we're talking about here this morning, because far too often the church has unhelpful reactions to the brokenness in our world. We see, we see evil happening, whether it's on the other side of the world or right in our neighborhood, or we encounter a, a variety of experiences with, with people who are in various stages of lostness. And far too often, the church doesn't respond well to that. Sometimes we cower from the world. And we, we say, we, we see all of this brokenness happening, and we say, what can we possibly do? to make a dent in, in all of this mess. And so we just kind of cower, we hunker down, and we say, we'll just take care of ourselves, and we'll just kinda try to get through this. Um, so cowering is one option. Um, other option is to become caustic. And so caustic people, it seems like maybe you've encountered this, maybe you've personally encountered this, that sometimes it seems like Christians and churches take this kind of pleasure in informing people that God's judgment is coming on them. And, and rather than having any kind of compassion towards them, it just turns into condemnation. And so neither a cowering church nor a caustic church really is able to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us to do. Um, and when we don't accomplish that mission, this is the worst kind of mission fail. Because the church is intended to be the body of Christ, continuing to carry out his work in his way. And so we're going to hear Jesus this morning remind us what our mission is and we're going to see two resources that he has provided for us in order to be able to carry out that mission. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one there near you. And Luke 24 is on page 981. And we are, in fact, finishing our study in the Gospel of Luke. Some of you will remember the beginning of the study of the Gospel of Luke. It started, believe this or not, November of 2014, which actually predates me. So we've gone slowly through this book. We've gotten into a lot of rich material, and we've taken breaks from it along the way. But today we're bringing it to a close. And the whole Gospel of Luke builds to these epic events that happen in the last several chapters. So chapters 22 to 24, where we've been in these last few weeks. And I want to start today where we ended last week. So there were two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. And uh, Jesus shows up. And I mean, this is, this is one of, I think, one of the funniest scenes in, in Scripture. It's interesting. Jesus shows up, but they are kept from recognizing him. And so this is an example of what we call in Scripture the divine passive. 
So they are kept from, it's passive because they, these disciples are being acted upon. They are kept from recognizing him. And who's doing the acting? Apparently, it's, it's God. For some reason, God is keeping them from recognizing Jesus. So Jesus shows up, and then Cleopas asks this hilarious, ironic question of, are you the only person that doesn't know what's been going on around here for the last week? And Jesus is thinking, well, as a matter of fact... But he says, he says, oh, what, what things? And so they go through and describe and have this interchange. And eventually we get to the point where their eyes are opened. Another divine passive in verse 31. Their eyes were opened and now they recognize him. And just like that, he vanishes. He's gone. And so in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? I loved how Jeremy pointed out that heartburn last week. This is a good heartburn. While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And reading right on into verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So all the way through chapter 24 here of Luke, we're, we're seeing people really wrestling with and having a hard time believing that Jesus could be alive again. And that's understandable because generally speaking, once someone has died, we don't see them alive again. That's, that's true in our day. It was just as true in Jesus' day. Um, there's something completely new happening here. And so we shouldn't be too hard. Sometimes we're hard on the disciples. Like, come on, people. I mean, you know, he's standing right in front of you. Why, you know, why don't you get it? But we shouldn't be too hard on them. They were startled. You would be startled, too, if somebody just appeared right next to you right now. Like some of you have empty seats next to you. Like if somebody appeared right next to you, right, you, you would be startled, too, Okay. I, if somebody appeared right next to me right now, I would be startled. You would be startled. We don't. Anyway, so we have to give them, uh, cut them some, some slack here. Um, and not to mention the fact that they are cowering in, in this room. According to the Gospel of, of John, John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. This is John's take on this same scene. And he's noting that they had the doors locked. They were hunkered down out of fear because, I mean, their leader has just been executed by the, by the political leaders, the religious leaders, and they're thinking we were his followers. We may be next. So they're cowering. No wonder then when Jesus appears next to them, they are startled and frightened Luke tells us, and that word frightened actually means they're, they're terrified. I mean, they are just coming out of their skin. And so they conclude this must be a spirit. This must be a ghost, which, which many people in that day believed in, in ghosts and spirits, that when somebody died, their spirit was left behind. So like that, that's what this must be, which, which, if they're right, negates the resurrection of Jesus. Because the idea of somebody dying and then floating around as a spirit, like that, yeah, maybe that could happen. But, but Jesus wants to be very clear 
This was an actual bodily resurrection. And he gives them two evidences that we're going to look at here, which actually become resources for carrying out then the assignment that Jesus has for his disciples and for the church. Without these two resources, there will be no impact of the church in the world. We cannot do this on our own. But with the resources, there's global impact. The first evidence, the first resource that Jesus shares is his presence. So verse 38, Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before him, before them. So Jesus wants, they're starting to come around. See, they, it says they still disbelieved for joy. This is a too good to be true kind of moment. So they're still just trying to figure out what's, but they're starting to, to come around. And Jesus wants them to experience him as alive in the flesh, resurrected from the dead. So he invites them to touch him, and he eats in front of them. And Luke is recording this because he wants to counter a false teaching that was common in the first century, and it's still common today, and that is this idea that Jesus, yeah, Jesus might have been resurrected, but it was a spiritual resurrection. His spirit is still with us. His teaching still lives on. And if that's the case, then there's nothing different about Jesus than any other religious leader that has ever lived. I mean, it, we, we could say the same about we could pick other people through history and say, yeah, their teaching lives on. It still inspires us. They're still with us in spirit. But Jesus wants it, and Luke wants us to be very clear that there's something very unique about Jesus. He has bodily resurrected. And this is the first time anything like this has ever happened. And Paul is going to build on this reality, Jesus' bodily resurrection, and say, it wasn't just Jesus. You and I, as our faith is in Christ, you and I will be bodily resurrected too. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. 1 Corinthians 15, a very long chapter, goes into a lot of detail about the resurrection. You can read that whole chapter and be very encouraged about what we have to look forward to. One verse out of there, verse 49 Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's so talking about Adam, our human physical father, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what Jesus experienced in his resurrection, we will experience as, as well. And we get clues as to what that's like in Jesus' body. Some things are very different about his body. For example, he, he just can appear and disappear kind of at random. I mean, it's kind of like this, this transporter, like any of you Star Trek fans out there. I mean, like you can do a transport from this point to this other point, and it just happens. Like, you and I can't do that, right? I mean, if you can do that, that's, that's really weird, but don't, you know, we, we can't do that. Jesus is able to do that. So that's something very different about our new body. But then there are things that are the same. 
Um, he, has, he shows them his body as a material body. You can touch me. He's showing them his scars that he bears. And he's eating in front of them. I, I think that's hilarious. He's, he's like, hey, you got anything to eat? And they produce a piece of fish. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, any chocolate? I mean, do you have, you know. But he's like standing there, and they're all, they're all gaping at him, trying to figure this out. And he's standing there munching on a piece of fish. I just, I just think that's great. That's important for him to be able to eat, because Luke has been telling us all along the way about this kingdom feast that we are looking forward to, that we are going to sit at this feast with God serving us in our resurrected bodies, all of the believers through all of, of time immemorial, and we're going to sit with Jesus and he's going to feed us. We're going to eat together. We have to have a body to be able to eat. So the first evidence of Jesus' real bodily resurrection is his presence right there with his disciples. The second evidence is scripture. It's the word. So verse 44 Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. There's the divine passive again. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then verse 47, he's going into now his assignment, his commission, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus says, all of these things that I have accomplished and what you are to do, this was all all written from the past in Scripture. I think it's profoundly significant that Jesus is standing in his flesh in front of them, and he still appeals to Scripture. He's upholding the authority of of the Word of God and God's written Word. He's affirming all of, at that time, all of the Scripture that they had, all of the Hebrew Scriptures in verse 44. He says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures were divided up into those three sections. The law of Moses was the Torah, known as the Torah. The prophets, uh, the Hebrew word for prophet is Nevaim. And the Psalms represented the writings, everything else, Ecclesiastes, the poetry, Job. And that was the Ketuvim. And so if you take the first letter of each of those, you have the word Tanakh, which is another word for the Hebrew scriptures. You can impress your friends with that. You say, did you know? Did you know another word for the Old Testament is Tanakh? You can just throw that out. If you impress people, they're probably weird too. But Jesus says, these are the scriptures that that point to what I have completed for salvation and this assignment that I have for you. And so I want to just very briefly just point you to a few. We could go, there's a lot of scriptures, but I want to point you to one in each of these sections of the Hebrew scriptures so that you can see what was predicted for, for Jesus. Jesus says in verse 46 that it was written that the Christ should suffer. We see that very profoundly in the prophet Isaiah 53. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? 
a prophet prophesying 800 years before Jesus. And then Jesus said that the Christ will suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. We can go to the Psalms, to the writings. And Psalm 1610 says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. David wrote this psalm, but David died and he was buried. He was predicting something that was to come in the Messiah. And then Jesus gives the commission, the assignment in verse 47, that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. We can go back to the Torah and see that all the way back at the beginning of uh, Abraham's call in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Jesus says, He's saying to his disciples there in that upper room on the day that he was resurrected, he says, now you have my presence and you have my word as evidence. And now I have a job for you to do. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. You are to be witnesses. You are to go and and be a witness in the world and to go to all the nations. Jesus equips us to witness with his presence and his word. And he equips us because this assignment is way bigger than we are. He, he's, he's saying here in verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to what? To all nations. Actually, nations, there's not nation states like we think of it. It's the word ethnos. So all ethnicities, every people group in the world. The Joshua Project is an organization that is tracking how we're doing with reaching all people groups. The Joshua Project says there's still over 7,000 people groups to reach with the gospel. 7,000 people groups that don't have enough people in them that have grasped the gospel that they can share it themselves. And so 2,000 years later, after Jesus gave this assignment, we still haven't achieved it yet. It is, it's enormous. Not to mention the fact that you nor I, need, none of us can change anyone's heart. We can't open people's minds. We can't open people's eyes. That's, that's God's work. So we are completely dependent on God and the resources that he gives. And so that's why it's, it, it's so powerful that he gives us his presence and he gives us his word. And I, it, it's no accident that he gives us these two resources in tandem because it is, it is very possible to fall off the rails uh, emphasizing one of these over the other and then we are in, on dangerous ground. It is very possible to, to emphasize the word and appeal to the word without the presence of God. And when we do that, we are in danger of bibliolatry, so bibliology would be the study of the scriptures, but bibliolatry would be the elevation of the scriptures to the point where we're missing who the scriptures are really pointing us to. This was a reality even in Jesus' day. He confronted the religious leaders in John chapter 5, and he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
It is, it is possible to be so, I'm going to use the word obsessed with the, the scriptures, with the, the word of God, that we miss the God of the word. So we, we should study the word. So don't stop reading the word. We're going to get to that in, in just a moment because we can fall off the rails on the other side. But it is possible to, to miss God completely, which is who the scriptures are pointing to. So that's the word without the presence of God. It's also very possible to pursue the presence of God without the word. And that is very dangerous because there are lots of counterfeit spiritual experiences out there. The, the, the Bible tells us that there is a whole spiritual army that is fighting against God's purposes, and they're trying to counterfeit experiences, which, again, this is dangerous in our world and in our day because we have elevated, we've idolized experience in many ways. And we say, well, this is what happened to me, and this is my reality. And what we need is we need an objective grid, that is the word, the written word, to evaluate our subjective experiences. And that's why we need God's presence and his word taken together. And that's what God, that's what Jesus gives us as our resources to carry out his assignment. He, you, you may be wondering, like, well, how do I experience his presence now, because he's not in front of me physically to touch. So I'm glad you asked that question because he answers it here in verse 49 as we read on. He says, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. What, who, who is the promise of his father? The Holy Spirit. So he's sending the Holy Spirit now. As Jesus now prepares to leave his and finish up his mission on earth. And he's going to be ascending in just a moment as we finish the, this, this chapter. As Jesus transitions, we are transitioning from Jesus who came to be God with us to now the Holy Spirit who God has given to be God in us. And so the Holy Spirit is now mediating our experience of the presence of Christ. So we still have the presence of God available to us, living in us. And so, as we talk about the mistakes that the church makes in cowering or in being caustic, the solution to the cowering church is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And we, we see that as we finish verse 49, because Jesus says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. That's that Jesus says, don't try to do this on your own. You wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so the solution for cowering is the power of the Holy Spirit. The solution for being caustic is found in the message that we have to share itself, in the gospel itself, in verse 47. What, the, what we are to proclaim is repentance and forgiveness of sin. So the message that we take is not condemnation. The message is repentance, which involves an acknowledgement of sin. Absolutely. I mean, we, we can't recognize the solution that God provides for us if we don't recognize the problem. So we have to recognize sin. But as we repent from that sin, God is so gracious and quick and excited to offer forgiveness of that sin through the work that Jesus accomplished 
for us. So the sending of the Holy Spirit is just around the corner. It's going to happen in the book of Acts. But before we get there, we have to finish the Gospel of Luke. So let's do that. The last few verses here, verse 50. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Okay, the way Luke writes this, it almost looks like all of this happened on the same day. But we, we know from other gospels and we actually know from as we go into the book of Acts that there's more that happened. There's 40 days that transpired between Jesus uh, resurrection and between the coming of and, and his ascension. And so um, that's the scene that we that he leaves us with here. And we're left on a note of hope. So verse 52, these disciples who who all through this chapter have been wrestling with and having a hard time believing that Jesus could really be alive again. Now they're worshiping him and they return to Jerusalem with great joy. So there's a note of hope here. And they're continually in the temple praising God. There's a note of hope, but we're still kind of left with some questions. I mean, there's a question of, do they really fully believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead? I mean, they're just barely getting it here at the end of the chapter. So do they really, really get it? And the second question is, are they going to be successful in this assignment that Jesus has given them to take this news, this good news to all peoples everywhere. We're, we're kind of left on that cliffhanger not knowing how it's going to be, how, how it's going to play out. And so Luke, like a master storyteller, he brings us enough closure at the end of this book, but he leaves these unanswered questions and sets us up for a sequel. And if I didn't know any better, I would think that he's trying to sell his next book or next movie or whatever. But there is a next book and a next movie. Uh, well, not in the movie. There's a next book, the book of, of Acts. And we're actually going to go into that uh, just a little bit next week. We're not going to start the whole book of Acts, but we're going to go right into Acts chapter 1 next week. But we, as we close out this, this book, we are left with the same questions for us. I mean, the question for us is, do we fully grasp and believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus? That something that never happened before really has happened and, and invaded our reality to the point that it changes everything and makes the redemption of all of creation possible. Do we really fully grasp that? And secondly, are we going to press forward in the assignment that Jesus has given us? To, to bring this good news to all peoples. He's equipped us. Jesus has equipped us to witness with his presence and with his word. And so these resources transform us from cowering. See, you, probably you and I, probably most of us fall into one of those categories by by uh, personality, where we either tend more towards cowering or we tend more towards caustic. Well, the solution for cowering is the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and it transforms us. He transforms us from cowering to courageous. And the solution for caustic, if that's what you deal with, is a transformation 
from, from being caustic to being compassionate. That's the work of God in us. And so here's my encouragement to you. This, this week, as you prepare in the morning or whatever time of day, most of us prepare in the morning to go out into our world for the day, then I just want to exhort you, don't, don't leave the house without spending time in God's presence without spending time with Jesus as mediated to you through the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Experience him. Bring to him your, your, your trials, your difficulties, your challenges, your joys. Um, seek his filling, his peace, his kindness. Seek to experience him and his presence. And do that grounded in the word. Have the word open in front of you to know that whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm perceiving God's presence to be with me, that that lines up with what he has revealed about himself in his written world. Don't, don't as the old, there's an old advertisement some of you will remember a long time ago, don't leave home without it. So don't leave home. Don't go into your world without being equipped with these resources that God has provided because the world that we go into desperately, desperately needs this good news and we need to be ready to bring it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Luke. Thank you that Luke was very careful to write down what he observed and what he heard from eyewitnesses so that we could have a testimony of what Jesus accomplished on earth. And Jesus, thank you for this, uh, the privilege that we have to be part of your assignment in bringing good news to, to every people in all the world because we see the brokenness of our world and we know it desperately, desperately needs the hope that you provide. So we thank you for the privilege to be part of it and we thank you that you didn't just send us out to do it on our own, but that you send us out with your presence and with your word. Lord, may we spend time in both so that we are truly equipped to make a difference in your name. We pray. Amen.